right, we, have, we are coming to the last sermon in First Timothy. After all these months, how long is it? Been? I don't know. I never keep track of how long it takes. I mean, I don't, I don't know. First Timothy <laughs> chapter 6, since May. All right. But here we are. First Timothy chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 17 through 21 as Paul comes to the end of this first epistle to Timothy. I want you to hear God's word this morning. First Timothy six seventeen through 21. Paul commands Timothy and he says this, As for the rich in this present age, you charge them to not be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. God be with you. Praise God. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you once again for your precious word. Lord, thank you for bringing us through this epistle. And I pray this morning, Lord God, that you would be with all of us to receive your precious word and instruction from you, Lord God. That again, you would illuminate our hearts with your truth. And Lord God, that you would be with me to bring forth your word, even as all of us sit at the feet of our master and teacher, even Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. I'm really going to focus in on uh, verse 17 and 18 this morning. And it's amazing because Paul just comes off that doxology. Remember last week's message as we talked about the grand doxology Paul was teaching and just kind of burst into that doxology, praising God. We talked all about that last week. Now he's right back to instruction and exhortation as he closes out this first letter. And he's talking about the the wealthy in the congregation. Now, you remember earlier, just a few weeks ago, uh, verses 5, 9, and 10, um, he had introduced this subject regarding wealth and money, and we, we talked about that in a message. But you remember back then that the people Paul was speaking to were motivated by money. Right? And they were using any means necessary to gain that money, even if it meant ministry, even if it meant you know getting in front of people and uh, using the ministry to make money. That's why Paul says you need to watch out for those. Uh, this, that's that's in, in, in verse five. He says, uh, constant friction among people, depraved in mind, depraved in truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. So using money to gain. He says, you know, then he goes on to say that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So we talked about that. That's not what he's saying here. But I'm telling you, man, he gives Timothy very, very difficult thing to do. This is tough for any pastor. But Paul's charging Timothy at this moment, at this time, to talk to the wealthy in the congregation, to talk to most likely the people that are upholding the ministry or supporting it financially in a big in a big way, um, that's not an easy thing to do. 
right? And, and it's a, it, it doesn't get easy for young Timothy. You can see how difficult ministry is as we've gone through this epistle. Everything the pastor, the elders are called to do, who they're called to confront, what they're to look for, how, to, how they are to shepherd the flock, how they're to choose leaders, the qualifications there. It's not easy. And this isn't easy either, right? It's a very sensitive topic, very sensitive subject. It, you don't want to cause offense, you know, it's, especially to people that are supporting the ministry, supporting you. But you know what? And I want you to hear this. If you're truly converted, I mean, if you're truly in Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how wealthy you are, you should not be offended by this, what he's talking about. Some people take offense. Oh, he's talking to me. Oh, he's telling me I have to do this, or he's saying this. Look, if you're truly converted, then, then you need to take heed. And you will take heed of what Christ is saying in his word. And that's what's coming forth this morning. It's not just Paul like trying to be selfish or saying just get down on, on the wealthy people. No, this is, this is how we are to conduct ourselves as Christians. And, and you will search your hearts in that way. All right? So when he talks about uh, as for the rich, when he says rich, that word means abounding. And... The thing is, most of us here, would you say you're rich? No, nobody, nobody's going to say they're rich or wealthy. At least not. most of us would not say that. Most of us here wouldn't say that we're rich, that we're really wealthy. You know, we're doing all right. We're doing okay. But rich? Oh, no way. That's, you know, that's very relative. That's a relative uh, idea. Uh, you know, like you have really, really wealthy people that say, I'm not that rich. Now, my neighbor, he's really rich. I'm just, I'm just well off. I'm just, I'm just doing okay. But you need to know something. If you have a house, you're paying your mortgage and you're paying your bills, if you put food on the table every day, if you're able to go out to eat, if you have clothes, shoes to wear, TVs, computers, phones, cars, be able to vacation, if you have a checking savings account, if you have some investments, you purchase a lot of things that you don't really need. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm not doing that. Please, don't get me. It's not about that at all. I'm just saying, you need to know that by most standards, especially when compared with Christians in other countries around this world, yeah, we're pretty wealthy. Talk to Vodi Bakum, who's in Zambia. Look that up and see how the Christians live over in, in Zambia in that way. So my point is, I don't want you to tune out this morning because most of us, whether you realize it or not, fit into this category to some degree, right? That means that this message applies to each, most of you here. Have your attention now? Good. What Paul's talking about are those who are already wealthy, right? It's not nefarious, like there's no nefarious motives ascribed to them, like he had done earlier. He's certainly not, it's certainly not a sin, obviously, to be wealthy. And I want to, I really want to get that into our hearts. It's not a sin at all to be wealthy. It's not a bad thing to, to be rich if that money is gained in legitimate ways. If you work hard, right? If you work honest, you make a lot of money, praise God. Be, be thankful for that. He's giving him the ability to do that. Uh, where if you've been a good steward of what he's given to you, you've built up your wealth and income, praise God. That's good. Uh, we, we should be thankful to the Lord. If you received an inheritance, that's all right. That's, that's, that's a wonderful thing. 
Um, there are many wealthy, godly people in Scripture. We've talked about that before. I'm not going to go through those names again, but you know that as we read through Scripture. And, and you're, we are to enjoy those blessings to be sure. But as Christians, we need to have great and take great care of our wealth in that regard. Right? Because there are certain traps that we could fall into, certain attitudes that we could take on, and they're, they're constantly like knocking at the, at, the, at the door of our hearts and our minds that are not in line with Christ. They're not consistent with who we are in Christ. And we need to guard against that because they're so easy to slip into still because we're battling with our sin. And plus, we live in a world where this is taken for granted. This is the way of the world when it comes to wealth, when it comes to money, how it's viewed, how it's managed, and how we live. So it's so easy for us as Christians to slip into it. I think that's part of what Paul is is exhorting Timothy here to do and why he's telling him, look, you tell those who are rich, as for the rich in this present age right now, charge them. And that word charge is a it's it's a very strong word. It means command them. He's not just saying just suggest, you know, like timidly say, hey guys, you might want to think about this or you might want to... No, he's saying, look, here's what you need to do by the authority of God. Here's, here's how you need to view this particular subject, right? So verse 18 says, you charge them not to be haughty nor set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. And, and so he, this is a negative. There's a negative command, and there's a positive side to this. We're going to deal with the two negatives, first of all. He says, first of all, negatively, don't be haughty because you're wealthy. Don't, don't go there. Again, that's what the world does. Don't be, it literally means don't be high-minded. Don't think too much of yourself. Don't let it go to your head. Because you have that wealth. And again, that's such an easy thing to do. But don't let it go there. Not even a little bit if you're a Christian. Right? There's several things to learn here. When he says, don't, don't be haughty. You charge them not to be haughty. Number one, you could avoid being haughty or high-minded or thinking too much of yourself as a wealthy Christian. If you remind yourself often, I mean, remind yourself constantly that what you have, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your possessions are from God and they are to glorify him. It's easy to do that. Number one, that everything that you have, what do you have apart from him, right? In Deuteronomy 8.18, God is warning his people. He says, you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. It's not you. It comes from him that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. First Chronicles 29.12, David's praying, prayer. He says, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Right? It's from the Lord. So this keeps us humble as Christians, number one, and gives us that good biblical perspective on our wealth. Because it's so easy to fall into the traps. Then, uh, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says this, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Right? All honor and glory goes, what do you apart from him? What do you have apart from See, as Christians, we understand this. We know this. And we need to acknowledge this and keep this in the forefront of our mind because it's so easy to slip into that other kind of attitude. 
You know why? Because oftentimes when you're wealthy, man, it, it just brings instant respect, doesn't it? When you have, like, if, if, if you're wealthy and people know that you're wealthy, it's kind of, you kind of instantly respect that person. You kind of almost defer to that person in some ways. It's just the opposite when you meet a real poor person. You don't do that. Very little respect for, for that person. It just kind of, their opinion doesn't mean too much. But if they're wealthy, oh, they must be so smart. Oh, they must be so good. There must be something about these people that, that we kind of defer to them in that way. And you know what? That is very easy to get used to. Even if you're a Christian, it's just easy to get used to people deferring to you, people kind of serving you, people kind of looking to you in that way. Don't get used to that because that's a, that's, that's a real danger of having a, this attitude of being haughty, of being high-minded, of thinking too much of yourself. What are you apart from the Lord? What do you have apart from him? And it's because of him you are who you are and you have what you have. As a Christian, you know who you are. Amen? And more importantly, you know that he knows who you are. So that kind of curbs that tendency to get haughty because he says that. Remind them, charge them not to be haughty. Second thing is is, is to avoid this or kind of curb that tendency towards high-mindedness is don't don't take pride in your wealth. Don't, Don't take pride in your wealth. Again, you can be very thankful that the Lord's given you ability, the Lord's given you... Uh, poured out his grace in this way and, and the means to, to, to obtain in that way. Amen. And that's, that's all right. But the world always brings it back to themselves. Oh, I'm a self-made man. Oh, I've worked so hard to, to get to this place. Oh, I've done so much in my, oh, I did it my way. And that's why, um, I'm on top. You know, I, I started with nothing. I had like n- not even two nickels to rub together. Now look at me. Look where I'm at. What's the common theme there? I. I, 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 no, that's not, that's not who we are. It's always Christ, 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 if you're a Christian. Haughty. When you're haughty in that way, which you're not factoring God in. That's a problem. You're not saying this is of the Lord. Now, you might give him lip service. You say, oh, yeah, with, with God's help, I've gotten here. But really, it's, it's kind of, I've kind of done this. You know, God's kind of helped me out along the way. No, it's all of the Lord. Otherwise, you're going to slip into that, that high-mindedness we, 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 we can't go there, especially because what happens so often when you're up there, you will show little compassion for others who aren't just like you in that way, right? Hey, hey, I work so hard for my money. I'm smart with my money. I'm successful and I'm, I'm, I'm hardworking and you're not. See, it leads to those kinds of things. That's why he's charging him. Don't be like that. You're a Christian. That's not who we are. That's not, money's not, we're not about the money at all. In that way, if you are, then you need to check your walk because you might be haughty. You might be high-minded. You might be thinking too much of yourself as if you did it on your own and for your glory. Watch out for that. That's not how you learn Christ, is it? No. Third thing is be careful how you use your wealth. In other words, don't take advantage of it. This is a big temptation. We fall right into that worldly pattern, don't we? Even in the church, it's so natural to do this, to use your money as influence. And you see this, especially in smaller congregations where you have two or three families or a few individuals that really have the wealth and they really kind of fund things in the church. They want to use their influence to get what they want. And they'll promise to give more or threaten to, to take away unless the church moves in this direction. You can't do that. That's not biblical. That's what you... So what you're doing, you're forgetting about honoring God with your wealth 
and your giving depends on how much your agenda is implemented in the church. See why this is hard? This is not easy as a pastor to, to bring out in this way, but that's a tendency of some to do, right? I have this. I have influence. I want to go this way, or I want this particular version of the Bible, and I'll purchase it, but if we don't get this particular version, forget about it. I'm not going to do that. Or we want these chairs. Well, you got to be careful in that way. It's very natural to do that. That's what the world does every day, but you're a Christian, and you're different. You don't do that. We don't, we don't live in that way. You, be, you don't take advantage of that. And you don't say, well, I'm going to withhold here, and I'm going to give here. Again, you're not giving. If it's sinful or, or the church is going in a bad direction, that's a different story. But by and large, you're giving unto the Lord, right? First and foremost. You don't withhold in that way. That gets you haughty. Proverbs 3.9 tells us this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. You're honoring the Lord. And number four, these are just outflowing of what's in the text. To avoid that haughtiness, he says, command them not to be haughty, Right? Charge them not to be high-minded because they're depending on their wealth. Be careful not to look down on others or to be partial. For that, I'm going to ask you to turn to James chapter 2. You know the passage. You know the text very well. But this does come into play, and it's very important in our attitude. We should be most humble of all, most approachable. Be willing to do whatever we need to do, not depending on our wealth in that way. So, James, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And you know the passage, most of you. My brothers, show no partiality. Very difficult to do. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit down at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen who, those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he has promised to those who love him. And he goes on to talk about dishonoring the poor man. But I want you to get the, print, the principle and the point here is you need to be careful not to look down on others because of wealth in that way. Right? It can cause you to be a little bit haughty in that way. Don't have that mindset in you. We're, we're Christ-like. We treat all the same. There should be no distinction. You shouldn't be so intimidated of, of the wealthy and so scornful of the poor. You love them both the same, and you respect them both the same, and you confront them both the same with the gospel, what we need to confront. That's it. We have to be that way. That's, that's what we're commanded to be in, in, the, in that regard. And if you have wealth, you can't be haughty and look down. Well, I'm not going to waste my time over there. I'm not going to waste my time with that person. No, I'm going to go over here with this crowd. No, that's not, that's not who we are in Christ. That's the world's way. But that's not our way as Christians. Do you understand that? you get that? Because it's so tempting. And we're so sheltered, some of us, in, in our wealth and in our bubbles. And we're not going to go outside of that. This is very challenging, isn't it? It, it, it is in, very many, in, in many ways in that regard. Listen, be humble, thankful, and grateful. Not haughty, not proud, and not greedy. Right? That's number one, the number one negative. <clears throat> Secondly, he says this, 
It says, um, don't be haughty, right? Nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So number one, don't be high-minded. Don't think too much of yourself. Don't go there. Don't be like the world. That's what the world does. Look at me. Look how wealthy I am. That's how I get your respect. That's how I get you know, power. That's how I get those things that, I, that, that give me control. We're not like that. And then number two, he goes on to say negatively, the second big idea, don't set your hopes on riches. Again, very easy. It's so easy for us to do, just like the world. And there's pressure for us, even as Christians, to make our wealth kind of a functional savior for us, like it kind of functions as as a savior. In other words, we kind of find our security in that more than we find it in Christ at times, right? Well, I have Christ, but I have my money. That's what I'm really making sure. That that gives me a great amount of, of security and, and a sense of peace, right? So so it kind of acts like a savior. If, if my bank account's good, if I'm doing well, well, then I have some peace there and, and I could look to that. And that's where my, kind of my hope lies. And there's a real tension there and there's a real struggle there uh, for us as Christians. But but see, that's what the world does completely and totally. They, they put their hopes oftentimes in this kind of thing, in their wealth and success and, and having that popularity, power, whatever whatever they're looking for, whatever's going to kind of try to fill that void in their heart and their lives. We don't need to do that because we have Christ. We're, we're secure in him. He gives us abiding peace. Our hope is set in him. We don't do what the world will do. Why do you think so many of the most wealthy people never have enough? Right? They don't stop because... You just, you never think that you have enough. I always need a little bit more. Like I said earlier, oh, I'm pretty rich. I'm okay. But that guy's really good. And that's where I need to get. And that's what I need to have. And then I'll be happy. And then I'll have some peace. And then I'll be secure. No, it's not, that doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. Right? They never have abiding peace. Go ahead. Read about some of the big stars or the big moguls. They get where they want to be, finally have everything they want to have. And they're still empty, right? They, they still don't have is this it? This is it? Right? They don't have that peace that only Christ can bring. Look at Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10 and 11. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth in his income. This is also vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, the gravy trainers. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? See, that? that's, that's the futility of that. It goes on in uh, Proverbs chapter 11. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And then Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. Right? That's what the world is chasing. We're not like that. Now, let me say this. Let me qualify this in a moment here. Certainly wealth does help, right? It does help. There's no doubt about it. It's nice to be able to afford things. And we're not saying you, you can't do that in any way. You know, we have to take a vow of poverty. We have to live in case. Not like that at all. You know, it's nice to be able to meet your obligations without going into debt. And you can gain a measure of peace. And, or, or life doesn't have to be, as, it's not as stressful when you're able to meet obligations and, and have things. So that's, that's one thing. Remember that. But here's the point, and here's the idea. 
Our identity is not in our wealth. So for the rich people in the world, that's what they run to. That's a perfect false god. That's a perfect idol. It's a perfect functional savior because it promises all these things, right? Security, wealth, uh, ease, uh, hope, right? All those kinds of things. But it comes up short. Our identity is in Christ. Our wealth is a tool to glorify him, to help others, to provide for our families. But our identity is not found in material wealth, but in the person of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was rich, he's almighty God, yet for your sake, because of his love, he became poor. He laid aside his glory to identify with us so that you may by his poverty, may become rich. That's where our wealth is. It's in Jesus Christ. It's in the hope that we have in him. If we have him, then we don't need anything else. Everything else is just gravy, amen? Could you say that and mean that? We could say it like that, but we need to understand when the difficulties come and and we are in, in a difficult place, do we still rely on him? Is your identity in Jesus Christ alone? Is he all you truly need? If you're in him, the answer is yes. Paul teaches us this very plainly in Philippians. I'm going to ask you to please turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4. And again, very familiar passages. Philippians 4. Paul's coming to the end of his letter here. You know, he's in prison. This is one of his prison epistles, and he's writing from there, being put in jail in an unrighteous manner. He didn't deserve to be there, but he's not complaining. He continues to preach the gospel even there. Then he goes on to say, 1 Corinthians 4, uh, beginning in verse 10, I rejoice in the Lord greatly, now that now at length you've revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. And then he says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Amen? Praise God. Our identity is in Jesus Christ and in him alone. He was the one who was rich that became poor for us, that we might become rich in him. That, our, that he is the one who we need. Our security is in him. Our hope is in him. Our trust is in him no matter what. Can you say that? I pray that you can. Do you believe it? I hope that you do. Will you be able to live in that way when the time comes? That's a test of our faith in that way. We're not to rely on our riches. We're not to rely on our wealth. We're not to rely on anything besides Jesus Christ. So, when it comes to the Lord John's life. So when it comes to wealth. When it comes to wealth, don't let it go to your head. Don't let it take hold of your heart. I came up with that. I think I did. I think it's original. Maybe somebody, you always want to give credit, man. But I was thinking about this and just, okay, how can I summarize this? I said, that's pretty good. And I I didn't, I gave it to Laura for the slide last night and I didn't put my name there. She's like, okay, who's this? I said, do you like it? She goes, yeah, I like it. I said, I did. (laughs) So we can put it out there. 
right. um, yeah, so that's it. But, but that's the idea. When it comes to wealth, don't let it go to your head. Don't let it take hold of your heart. Amen? Praise God. Remember that as we move on. That's what, that's what uh, Paul is exhorting Timothy to teach in the congregation. Then he goes on, and, and now he turns from the negative to, to the positive. And second half of 17, and then in 18. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Again, our hope is in Christ. Verses 17, uh, end of 17, especially verse 18, this is how we are to view our wealth. This is what we are to do with it as Christians. This is how we are to treat it. What the wealthy Christian should be like when it comes to money. Right? There are four, four charges that he gives here. Number one, he says to do good. That's what we need to do. We need to do good with it. That means provide for your family, work hard for it, work honest for it. Right? But also promote that which is good according to God's word. That's a good thing to do. You have so many people in this world that are billionaires and zillionaires and they take their money and they use it for evil. You can think of people in the world today that are doing that. And they're just financing all kinds of evil around us. You're a Christian, you're wealthy, finance that which is good around us if you have the ability to do that, to do good. Those things that advance the kingdom of God. Right, the kingdom of evil is on the go, and they're and they're well financed and they're well backed. Weren't you know? If it was Christians, we need that same kind of investment for good, not spending it simply on yourself or hoarding it. But how can you put part of your wealth to help others, to donate, to purchase, to assist? And I'm serious. Really think about that. We have we 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 again. So often we think about ourselves and our family, which is good to do, and kind of giving to the church in a generic. And, you know, in a fine way, you know, give our tithes and offerings. But we don't go that, that, that farther step and say, how can I really help in this, in this way for, for the church, for the kingdom of God? How can I use my finances in this regard to do good, to advance the kingdom of God in that way? We need to ask ourselves that question and then act on that. He says, you do good with it. Right? Not just for yourself but for the body of Christ, for the kingdom of God. So we do try to support missionaries. That's what we want to do with that. Might purchase books over here. We might be looking at this. And if you're able to do that, you do good for the kingdom as the Lord enables you. In a similar fashion, he goes on. It's a little bit of a play on words. He says, be rich in good works. Not just materially wealthy, but spiritually wealthy. And you know what? That manifests itself in your life especially. You're not simply known for being a wealthy Christian, but a Christian who gets involved. And that's what you want to be known for. Not just not just your wealth. Oh, man, that was a nice guy, good guy, really, really wealthy. You'd rather be known for, yeah, that guy, yeah, he had money, but, man, he did so much for the kingdom. He, wor- he worked hard. She did so much for, for, the, for the glory of God in her life. Using gifts, talents, ability beyond the wealth to build up the kingdom of God. In a very sincere, humble, helpful way. Not just funding necessarily, but getting your hands dirty, as it were, in the work of Christ. You know what I think of when I think of this? You guys might laugh. You might think it's funny. How many of you heard of Kirk Cameron? Especially if you're a little bit older. That guy, he, there's no doubt that he's wealthy. All those shows that he made in, in the 80s. What was the name of the program? Growing Pains? Something like that. Yeah. But, but he, 
he's, he's, like a, he's not like the movie star Christians or the, the entertainers that call themselves Christians and you know, really one foot in the world. And you know, He's not like a Justin Bieber dude. He's, this guy's serious about his faith, and he's wealthy, but you don't know him for his wealth or his entertainment value. You see, this guy is a Christian. It's that kind of thing here. I think that's a, a pretty good example of that. Like He's not going to be known for like Kirk Cameron, the actor who did this and, and, and had all that, but that guy's a Christian. And he's out on the street witnessing. You know, if you see him with Ray Comfort, um, um, and, and he's, and, and when he's speaking, he's, you know, he's true and, and honest to the t- to, to to the scriptures themselves. So, so be rich in in good works in that way. Don't be known just like for for your wealth. Oh, that was a wealthy person that really you know held up the church in that way financially, but also was there and and, and getting their hands dirty in the work of ministry as well. Don't, don't be simply rich materially. Be rich in good works as a Christian. There's that exhortation, that positive challenge. And he goes on to say to be generous, to be generous. This is a big one. I want you to really hear this. It's the opposite of stingy and prideful, right? That word generous actually means to be ready to distribute, to be ready to give away. That's, that's the attitude that should be uh, um, characteristic of you as a Christian. You know why? Because when you're generous, when you're generous with your wealth especially, it shows that you're not tied to your wealth. Because you could say all you want about being a Christian. You could say all you want about hoping to help out. But until you give, and you give generously, you're just all talk until you do that, right? You could say what you want. But, but we are called to be generous and not, not greedy. It's not just mine and my own. It's, 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 it's what the Lord has given me, and it's for his purposes and his kingdom. Generosity is really an outflowing of the love and grace that you've received in Christ. It really is. It's just that appreciation, that love. The more you adore Christ, the more you love Christ, the more generous you're going to be because you know what you've received from him, right? I've received so much. What can I give back that he hasn't already given to me? And that goes for every single area, but even when it comes to to our wealth in that way, to, to be generous, to show that humility and that grace and that love of Christ. Look at Zacchaeus in, in Luke 19. He's a really, really good biblical example of this because that guy was greedy. That guy was dishonest. That guy was cheap. That guy, you know, ripped people off all the time. But when he was converted, when he was renewed, when he was regenerated, there was a change that was consistent with what the Lord had done in him. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor. Right away, that's a big deal. He didn't have to do that at all if he was converted. But he was willing to do that. I'm going to give half of what I have. And he had a lot because he was a chief tax collector. He was a very rich dude. And he was able, to, willing to give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything... I will restore it fourfold. That's well beyond the minimum of making restoration if you had ripped somebody off. He goes well beyond that, doubling that. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. It's not because he made this confession, here's what I'm going to do. It's because of what Christ did in him. And he says, here's what I'm doing because of what you've done. There's a generosity that just flows out. Money doesn't mean too much to me anymore. It's much more important to serve the kingdom of Christ in this way. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. When you're found and you have Christ, your security is in him, your identity is in him, everything else is, is peripheral, right? We're stewards of those things. 
there's a beautiful quality of the Macedonian Christians. Macedonians were a poor church. They were a small church. There, were, uh, there was a famine in Jerusalem. There were a lot of Christians who were suffering. And I want you to read this because I, this speaks to the generosity. We're to be generous, to overflowing, not stingy, not cheap, not squeezing it out and calling ourselves, you know, good stewards. And that. There's that spirit, man. There's that spirit. Um, look at the Macedonians. I do want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8, because he says to be generous, to be generous in, in your giving. It's very challenging, isn't it? I think it is. I'm, as, as we go through this this morning, 2 Corinthians 8, just beginning in verse 1. Paul writes this, we want you to know, brothers, and he's writing to the Corinthians. Again, the Corinthians were a very, very wealthy church and, and congregation. Paul's not really guilting them, but he's showing them by example what it means to be in Christ and, and that generosity that just flows from that transformation that Christ makes. So he says this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, they were poor. They were going through their own difficulties. They were struggling. But they're saying, here, we want you to have this to help brothers and sisters that we've never seen before that are hurting. For they gave according to their means, and that's good, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Do you see that? Doesn't that, doesn't that melt your heart? Doesn't, that's beautiful that we love you so much that here we're going to give out of our poverty to you. I'd rather be in bad shape so that you could be in better shape. That's the spirit. That's the attitude that we need to have as Christians. So Paul tells Timothy to exhort the wealthy to be generous. And then finally, ready to share. He says, and have them ready to share, thus storing up for themselves treasure as a foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Ready to share. That The root of that word is fellowship. And you know, think of the book of Acts, right? Think of Acts. Um, from time to time, people would sell tracts of land, bring the proceeds to the, to the feet of the apostles to help those that were hurting. Think of Barnabas, who sold part of his land. Now, can you imagine doing that? And this is real. This, this, is, this is that spirit of the Lord, and we're thinking of, of each other as, as Christians. The idea extends beyond just sending money, but it means giving up something of yours, sacrificing on the behalf of others. I know we don't think like this because we're so trained not to. We're in this world and we live in this world and we think like the world. We don't really give something for nothing. We're not really willing to sacrifice our something of ourselves, for, for, sacrifice um, things that we own to, to give to others. But we need to think like that. Again, this is a deep expression of love and care. It's kind of like the equivalent of us saying, you know what? Why don't we hold off on buying that second car, right? And take those proceeds and give it to that family over there that's really in need so they might be able to put a down payment on a house or something like that. 
See, could you imagine doing, well, you know, we could be nice Christians. We'll give a little bit here. I don't know if I don't go that far, though, man, you know, because now you're getting on my personal space. Maybe we could say no to that second vacation. Take the first vacation all you want. But that second vacation, maybe it's like, you know what? There's a need over here, and it's a real need at this time. This isn't constant. It's not all the time. Remember in Acts from time to time, this is what they did. Ready to share. Ready to give in that way. But there's a family that's run into some really difficult time. Times. So why don't we take that and gift it to them? Without any kind of strings attached, it's not a loan. We're not, it's not about reciprocation. We love you. Here you go. Do we really need that big screen television set downstairs? We could take those. Pro- Again, I'm not trying to guilt you. I, I mean that. I'm really not. I'm just saying. And you don't have to. You can take the second vacation if you want. That's, you know, you'll still go to heaven, but. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, this is, where's our mindset? This is what he's saying here. Be ready to share. Be ready to set, be ready to give something that you have to somebody else for their benefit. And not just, not just for you. Right? If this is foreign to you, then, then you really need to dig deep and, and search out your heart in terms of your relationship to Christ. You should be wrestling with these kinds of things. You know, at the risk of being inconvenienced, are we going to bring somebody in to our home that's in need, even for a time? Oh, I don't want to do that, man. That's going to mess up my schedule. It's going to mess up my routine. I'm not, whoa, are you kidding me? You can sleep in your car. That's okay. A couple more. Pay for a place. I don't know. Look. You ready? This is the attitude. This is the spirit that all Christians need to possess, but especially those in positions to help that have the wealth. That's where it's coming from. That's why he's saying this. Don't be high-minded. Don't think you got here of your own devices because you're so smart, because you're so uh, frugal, because you have the ability in that way. That's from the Lord. Don't set your hopes on your wealth. Where does your hope lie? Is money your functional kind of savior? You kind of... Yeah, Jesus, but really, I have this. If I didn't have this, I'd be bummed out. Mm. Do good. Be rich in good works. And be ready to share. And here's the kicker. These are not suggestions. That, that this is in the imperative. This is a command. There's, there's, there's not, it's, not, not, it's not something you're merely to consider. Ha, huh, I'll think about it. Maybe I'll do it if I'm not angry. He's not saying it like that. He's not. He's saying, this is what you are to do. This is what you are to be like. This is who you are in Christ. It's not optional, but it's characteristic of who you are in Christ. It's characteristic of followers of Christ. This is who we are. This is what we do. We don't hold on to it for ourselves. It's not just about me first and then others. It's, it's about others in Christ, as we are in Christ. Right? not just suggestions. So you have to ask yourself the question. We have to ask ourselves the question, does this reflect us? Does our life reflect these commands? Are we like this in our lives? If not, why? Does your life reflect this? More importantly, in your heart, do you desire to be this. That's a challenge. That's the kicker. That's hard. Maybe that's why he saved this for last. 
because it's not easy for us to think about these things considering the position and the blessings that we've been given by the Lord.